0: Thanks for taking time to listen to this episode of The Real Rescue Podcast. Take a minute to go to realrescue.com to check out these and other great deals from our sponsors here at The Real Rescue. This episode of The Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider, Axness, because when lives are at stake and conditions are challenging, clear communication is of the utmost importance. Life-Saving Systems Corporation. We do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. And SR3 Rescue Concepts because you don't know what you don't know. Breeze Eastern. They dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. The Axnes PNG Wireless ICS System can bring cutting-edge wireless intercommunication system technology to any aircraft. The PNG system can be fully integrated into an existing ICS system or can be carried on and off as a mobile base station. They can go anywhere, at any time, on any aircraft. Plus with the strongest and most robust waterproofed handheld on the market, this system can take a hit and keep working. Their wireless intercom systems are designed to enhance situational awareness through improved communication capability. This system brings superior noise cancelling technology to eliminate rotor wash and engine noise from your ICS. The Axnes P&G wireless system is currently deployed in more than 1800 public safety, air ambulance and search and rescue aircrafts worldwide. I have personally used the Axnes system in 4 different countries and on 5 different airframes. It is awesome! If you want more information, contact them today at Axnes.com. That's axnes.com. You just make sure you tell them Quinny sent me. Life Saving Systems Corporation. They manufacture the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear. From my favorite harness as a rescuer, the Triton harness, to the rescue baskets, the litters, and of course the most popular hook in all helicopters, the D-lock. The team at LSC will cut. Bend, sew, weld, and machine these products into existence every day. We do our work so you can do yours. LSC. Tough gear for tough jobs. Check them out today at lifesavingsystems.com and follow them on Instagram at rescue gear. That's at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. And... SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help with your helicopter training, a standardization and safety check, or maybe just an audit or an FAA refresher. They are here to bring your agency up to date with the most current techniques, rules, regulations and equipment. The training staff is awesome! With the certified flight instructor pilots, experienced crew members, which I am happy to say that I am one of them. They offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, ground operations, and night vision goggle use. SR3 is also partnered with Petzl to assist with personal protective equipment and the highly specific Lazard. SR3 also goes beyond the helicopter world as they provide high angle rescue training and tactical medicine training. Contact them today at SR3RescueConcepts.com Or over on Instagram, at SR3 underscore rescue. Our next guest had an amazing career in the U.S. Coast Guard. As another rescue swimmer, his stories are like, oh my gosh, I absolutely loved them. He talks about just a couple that stand out to him. And in addition to that, we get into one in particular training flight that he was on that really is like, whoa. So I hope you guys enjoy these stories as much as I did. Please welcome our next guest, United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 251, Mr. Marty Nelson. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue Podcast. I've got another rescue swimmer brother with me and I am pumped to have this guy here and I'll explain why in a second. United States Coast Guard rescue swimmer number 251, Mr. Marty Nelson. What's up, Marty? How are you, brother? Doing
1: great, brother. Living yeah. the life down here in Corpus Christi.
0: Yeah, buddy. So one of the reasons I, I love the fact that I'm seeing you right now is I, I very vividly remember your face and the first day I met you, and that's because you were stationed down in C D, not at the shop. You were over at Alsea Tech. Is that right? Yep. yep. And uh, – So during a school, when we had our multis, we had survivors in the water and it wasn't just our instructors. We had guys from Aussie Tech and that's where I met Marty Nelson for the first time. I'm in the multi, I'm in the pool and he's like off the corner, like, I'm so cold, help me. I'm like, shut up, get over here. You're like, oh. (laughs) And uh, my debrief after that was, you know, you should probably really take the guy that's probably the most severely hypothermic and injured out of the water first. I'm like, oh, 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 that's probably a good idea. My first introduction to Marty Nelson. I gave you the answer. You did, yeah, very much so. Very much so. I can't. I don't know if I took it in that. I, I don't remember. Right? All I remember is I picked you out of the pool last. So I don't know if the advice is after or before that multi, but. oh shoot anyway but all right so for everybody else that doesn't know you out there if you could do me a favor just introduce yourself a little bit of background about you how you came in the coast guard and how you became a rescue swimmer
1: oh man uh it it started back on the home front uh we moved to oklahoma from california around 1977 and this little town that i grew up in had so much Coast Guard people in it, you wouldn't believe it. It was right on the edge of the uh, Mike Monroney Aerospace Center where the Coast Guard Institute is. Oh, dude, every neighborhood had a retired Coast Guard Master Chief in it.
0: <laughs> uh, it was I'm inevitable. Sure,
1: yeah, I'm pretty sure Larry Farmer lived in my neighborhood at one point hey, where, yeah. <laughs> where, I, where I grew up, you know, like the godfather that started the program. Yeah, he's living around the corner. But uh, but yeah, there's a lot of Coast Guard. I grew up hearing about it. Uh, it was a great place to live. But man, I missed that beach from California. and just couldn't wait to get back. And, uh, and so I jumped at the chance to enlist. I, I started working on aircraft when I was 15. It was part of a uh, program in high school. So when I graduated high school, I already had two years of, uh, of airframe experience.
0: Oh, wow. That's killer. Like in high school, well, they had a program for that?
1: Yep. Come on. It, 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 it was a long drive. There was a, we had our high school and then we had our vocational school that was probably, I don't know, 10, 15 miles away. And it was a long drive going, okay, go to school for track practice. Okay. Go back, work on the aircraft. Okay. Go back to school for high school. Wow. It, it was a, a lot of driving, but I did that my junior, senior year.
0: That's pretty awesome. Actually, that's the first time I've ever heard of any, any school doing that. That's pretty cool.
1: Uh, let's see. I, I graduated Mustang High School, '87. Go Mustangs! To, uh...
0: I'm a Sparty. Sorry. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, Canadian Valley Vo-Tech. Uh, Instructor by the name of Edsel Ford. Awesome guy. Got me going in aviation, and he's he's still there. He's probably just retired. But uh, but yeah, two years. We learned uh, non-destructive testing. Uh, structural. I didn't do any engines, but we did all the general and all the airframe requirements to uh, to get licensed. Wow. So that that might be the only secret I ever kept in the Coast Guard.
0: <laughs> <laughs> smart as a swimmer. Just gonna throw yeah. that out there.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Well, <laughs> I, so I actually came in to be an AD. I, I wanted to be a mechanic, and uh, I decided, okay, if I like the Coast Guard, I'm going to go AD, or, or I'm going to do something I wouldn't normally get to do, which is rescue swimming. You know, go be an AS, ASM at the time. Yeah. Uh, if I'm going to do four years and get out, I'll go AD. So after about six months, I got a feel for it. I liked it. So I, I just went for the brass ring and went ASM.
0: Nice. Very nice. And the rest is kind of history because you didn't get the rest out. The history.
1: You stayed in for uh, a very long and great career. I, I stayed in the field as long as I could. I dodged senior chief. <laughs> I just I love the job. Absolutely love the job: um, right.
0: So you know you're not the only person that ever has say that that I've heard that. Like I'm going to dodge senior chief. For those that don't know out there, when you make senior chief, which is the uh, E8 position, is that right? E8. Yeah. Yes. yeah, E8. Wow, I had to double check myself there. So when you make E8, there are very limited spots you can go in the rescue swimmer rate, there's only what, five, maybe six units off the top of my head. And there, there are yeah. not many. So it's like, yeah, wasn't a that
1: cool. I wasn't going to get one of those. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there's a chief at every unit. Your uh, you're E7, but your E8s, those are limited. And, and that's uh, yeah. So dodging. E, yeah.
1: Yeah. You smart guy. Come on, man. <laughs> I, I tell people I'd rather be a senior chief than a senior chief.
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny. I like that. <laughs> nice. All right, man. So you get qualified. Uh, you're starting to stand duty. And so you you at number uh 251. Mm-hmm. You were part of the same program with Olaf and everybody. So you had to do both flight Mac, uh drop guy, depending on the units.
1: Is that uh, is that accurate? I think I came right after that. Okay. Uh, they we got a. Uh, I I got to Cape Cod in 1990, and we transitioned from H3 to uh to the H60 ah, in 91. Okay, okay. So we had to do we had to do the flight mech syllabus, but we didn't I didn't do any of the hoisting. You know, uh it I got in at a very interesting time. First of all, everyone that taught me was a stinking legend. I mean I got <laughs> half Genta. You know, I mean, Dave Moore from Perfect Storm. Uh, Tom Carr was just an absolute great first chief to have. Uh, He taught me just as much about being a family guy and doing the job as doing the job. Wow. Uh, Wow. Just, man, so, so many people. Uh, Hathaway, Hines, and Hanley are the the three H's that, that taught me how to fight in the water. So if if you can take on those guys, you're doing really well.
0: Oh, that's awesome! That's hilarious. Uh, but
1: right. but the program was just really starting to kind of congeal at that point. Yeah. I mean, the guys that were before me, they were writing it while they were doing it, and so we came out of school and we thought, oh, this is the way it's always been, right? No, no, we uh, we didn't realize that the 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 foundation we were standing on was barely dry. Those yeah. guys were just finished getting that uh, that foundation laid, and we show up, you know, just a few years later, thinking, "Wow, this is—it's uh, always been like this, right?" It's like, no, the program was only five years old at that point.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's crazy to so, think about.
1: But, nice. All right. But the, in in the words of Brooks McKinley, it's like, uh, yeah, but we were the generation that made it work. So there. <laughs>
0: come on brooksy (laughs) i like that (laughs) well i just polished it up for you i'm just gonna throw that out there for you
1: yeah (laughs) oh yeah
0: whatever anyway all right so now you uh you get all qualified you're done very first our case what do you got
1: very first our case uh let's see 27 year old heart attack victim on a What kind of boat was it? It was a fishing boat of some kind, like a commercial fishing boat. And uh, we get down there. And of course, your mind's going 100 miles an hour because you're like, "Okay, I'm really doing it. I thought I was really doing it when I graduated school, but now I'm really doing it. You know, uh, H3 has so much fuel. So you've got an extra two hours to think about. I'm really doing it, you know, and uh, we get out there. They lower you down. They lower you down with your equipment. You've already gone through your procedures. You know what to do. And uh, all of a sudden, there's just, there's something amiss. There's something not right about this case. And uh, there's the guy laying on the deck, unconscious, not breathing. And you're like, okay, this guy's got no vitals. And uh, you start CPR on him. And when you go to do your jaw thrust, you feel the strangest little crinkle under your fingertips. And you're like, his face is frozen. Oh, And you're like, wait, what? This guy had a heart attack and fell face first in the ice while he was packing the fish down in the hold. And I don't think they found him for a while. (laughs) So they pulled him up on deck to kind of thaw him out and say, we don't know what happened. It's like, well, you know, 27 year old heart attack, you know, Uh, might have a pretty good idea what happened. Uh, But yeah, so. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, it, it was really like, okay, they didn't teach us this in school. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, the crew's looking kind of, not guilty, but like, uh, I don't know how this is going to go. But you you treat them and you medevac them just like everyone else. But that was my first medevac.
0: Wow. What a first case to have.
1: Yeah, yeah. Ooh. But like I said, uh, Cape Cod was, it was, all, it was all medevacs. I got a lot of, for some reason if you were within 200 miles of Cape Cod having a heart attack, I was going to be on duty. So <laughs> I, I, I was a cardiac King. So, but that was it. I never got deployed once in Cape Cod to the water. Really? No, that was my first tour. All right.
0: Nothing wrong Great. with that. No, no. Like I, you know, we, not all of us have gone to the water in every case. So I've been right? to more boats and I've been in the water. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, But that'll change when I got to Corpus Christi. Everybody wants to go to Cape Cod because of big water, you know, big water rescue, cold water rescue. Yep. But I come down here south of I-10 all of a sudden I'm a swimming fool.
0: Oh, okay. Well, as a matter of fact, actually, you and I uh, have kind of offline, we we talked a little bit about all your cases and you had a, a boatload and I, if you don't mind, I, I'm just going to kind of go through the list and, and because <laughs> I want to hear all these. They're, they're, every, <laughs> every one of them is in, intriguing to me, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. So the first one that you've got on here is a torn carotid
1: artery. Yeah. Yeah. So these guys go out in the bay, and they go fishing. They have a good time, and, and they're slaying the fish. They're having a great time, and they do not want to go back in to get bait because it's wasted time and it's wasted fuel. So they'll pull up to your, your local shrimper and say, hey, can we buy some bait? Well, some of the guys will throw down the shrimp and the and the, the boat will take off without paying them.
0: So oh. the shrimpers
1: will say, listen, if you want to do business, come up here on the deck of the boat and we'll sell you some shrimp. So this fellow decides that in probably about maybe three foot you know, rollers, he's going to jump from his small fishing boat to the side of a shrimp boat. And when he does, he he throws both arms around this tire and the problem is there's a steel cord sticking out of that tire that inserts right at the base of his neck right at his jawline oh. and as he falls into the water it cuts him to the chip, tip of his chin so he's got a gill that runs the entire length of his jaw oh. and uh they get him out of the water they get him onto the back of the boat and uh when i find him he's sitting on a uh, an ice chest on the back of the, the boat the fishing boat And there's just blood in a V starting with the tip of his chin running to both corners of the boat. And he is not controlling this bleeding at all. So we get him packaged up. We get a pressure dressing on it. We get him up in the helicopter and uh, he's starting to panic a little bit. You know, it's noisy, the vibrations, he's looking around. And every time he looks around, he jerks his head. And it's like a sprinkler spraying out of his neck (laughs) into the bulkhead. And so he just, you know, and then he sees it and he freaks out and he starts looking around again and he's, he's just losing blood. And I'm trying to hold him down and, and uh, keep this guy alive till finally I notice uh, the pool, the, the blood is actually pooling over his eyes. And so I'm trying to clean him up so he can see to keep him calm and it's not working. So I just went with it. I got a couple of two by twos, put it over his eyes and let the blood dry. And when it, when it dried, it sealed his eyes shut. He quit looking around. And we could handle the patient. Wow! So you just you figure stuff out on the fly, uh, but oh we got him into. Uh, yeah, we got him into the hospital and lived happily ever after. But it's like you do what you have to do. Uh, there's really not a lot of rules other than don't let anyone die. <laughs>
0: Holy shit!
1: <laughs>
0: you know the downside about that whole case is you know you got to clean the helicopter when you're done. Oh, oh yeah. And it's sprayed oh, yeah. with blood everywhere. <laughs> and you're like, what the heck?
1: You know what, dude? You did the job too. And you know, blood is the cleanest thing we clean out of there. So let's ah, just, let's stop it, right there. It doesn't
0: smell as bad as everything <laughs> else either. For what I, Yeah. like, <laughs> oh, all right. Thanks. Next on the list, ready? Amputated finger. Yep. And a belly full Amputator. of a
1: screwdriver. Uh, you know what? That was. This is a good setup. We went for blood, and we're and we're working our way down the list of the grossest things we do. Uh, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> we we had a uh, an, another uh, another recreational fisherman managed to, to cut a finger off while he was on his boat. You know, these guys are chopping up bait on on these these nice boats. He cut his finger off. So uh, we, we fly out, we pick him up, and, you know, like most guys, he had a couple of drinks, you know, <laughs> while he was out there fishing. And this guy's drink of choice was screwdrivers. Nice. So we get the call, and uh, the first thing I do, they're like, hey, it's an amputation. You know the deal. You, you grab a trash bag, run to the ice machine, get as much ice as you can carry. 80% of it's going to melt before you get there. So if, if you have a Ziploc left at the end of it, you're pretty happy because that's all you really need. So I, I grab this bag of ice and throw it in the cabin. Well, it, uh, it snags on the seat track. And so it tears the bag. And we're like, well, that's no big deal. The, the water will drain and go out the door. You know. So, uh, so we get out there. We pick the guy up, uh, pack the finger, pack the patient. And he is just, he's starting to get really woozy. Uh, he's not feeling really good. And we are on approach to Shoreline Hospital here in Corpus. And he lets go of about a gallon of screwdriver right in the cabin floor. Oh. And it mixes with all that ice water. Oh. And, the, the, and I see it coming. You know, I don't see it coming very often, but I saw it coming. So I put my visors down. And the minute they open the door, that entire cabin just oranged out. <laughs> Oh the all of it and just painted the inside of the cabin.
0: You know, I know we have to open the cabin door or not so the 65 or the Coast Guard, they open cabin door yeah. to clear all the area all the way in. I know that's a rule. But when there's yeah. vomit on the inside of the aircraft, you yeah, like really- just Don't open the door. Don't just don't Will you shut
1: down, please. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Marty, that's that's terrible. It's it's you know what though it's uh this is for all the guys that think they're going to go into this and it's going to be some kind of glory job. The job is doing whatever it takes to keep people alive. That's it. That's it. Comes with the motto. Nothing else matters. So others huh? may live. Comes with the motto. There you go. There you go. But uh, if if you're not prepared to do whatever it takes, then man, this is not the job for you. Fact.
0: Totally. Totally. all right let's go let's keep it rolling ready (laughs) shark encounters with hoff and shark
1: encounter (laughs) with
0: (laughs) oh my god
1: with a derelict (laughs) vessel all right (laughs) oh man we decided to do some training okay we 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 had a couple shark encounters down here off corpus uh when we're doing our training we usually go out to the sea buoy off port aransas and uh when the fishing boats are coming in They'll hose off their decks and they'll get all that chum and all the weed and everything. So there's always some weed lines out there. And uh, they make great reference points for training. You know, if you want to hold a hover, hey, man, just put that weed line out at one o'clock and the pilot's got a hover reference. And, you know, beautiful, clear days down here. Uh, it's, it's a great training environment. So we're going to do a, uh, I think it was direct deployment training, if I remember correctly. And I'm, I'm the survivor, Pops the rescuer. So I go out first and I'm just basking in it, looking around, going, man, the water's clear. Look how beautiful this is. This is, we get paid to do this. And I'm like, wow, just beautiful sky, beautiful water. Wow. Look at the fishies. That looks just like a shark. (laughs) And, and it passes and it's got that little slink, that little sway that they do as they swim. And then the next time it comes by, it's just a little higher. So it's a little bigger. And the third time, I'm looking up the door like, okay, I could give the emergency signal right now, but Hoff's doing a direct deployment. If I give an emergency signal, they're going to back off. They're going to wonder if it's real or training. I really want Hoff right now. So I'm just going to write it out and let Hoff come get me. <laughs> so Hoff, Hoff comes down, you know, throws a strap around me, and he sees that my eyes are big in my mask, like, let's go. We, we got to go. Yeah. Uh, Hoff picks me up and I'm and I'm trying to scream to him there's a big shark down here and he and he's like what what I said you know and I'm motioning with my hands big middle finger arms together shark (laughs) and now the flight mat's like what what are you two idiots doing you look like you're you know you're flopping around on the hoist and we tell him hey look there's a big shark down here we probably want to fly a little ways away from here and uh Paul's like well let's just go up the weed line i'm like well that's the direction he was going this probably isn't the best direction for us to go and hoff's like marty ah, it's not a big deal how big was the shark and i'm like does it matter it has a mouth there's not a single part of my body that is disposable i, I really don't care i mean three or four feet but that's that's big enough for me come on and Hoff. he's like oh Hoff, and he's like and, and he you know <laughs> the way you get a swimmer to do something, is should call him a pansy. <laughs> Among and other like, things. Oh, fine. And so Hoff decides, okay, look, I'll be the victim. You be the rescuer. And I'm sitting there and they're putting Hoff down. And I'm thinking, you know what? If it was three or four feet at a 20 foot depth, that probably means that was a big shark. <laughs> so we're, we're looking about the time I'm trying to tap the flight mech. Like, hey, we probably better pick him up. Hoff looks down and gives us a little hi, how you doing? And then he goes from, okay, I'm a little more excited, look, couple more waves. And then he looks like he can auto rotate on one arm, you know, like come get me. And, he, and we go back and we pick him up. And it was like, yeah, that was, that was a very big 10 foot plus shark.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. that's hilarious. Did you change your training location or call it for the day?
1: Uh, I th- I think we went somewhere else and, and we finished up, but it was like, yeah, no, no more on the chum lines.
0: You're clear of that. Probably a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Next on the list, as you sent me full thickness burn patient, uh, mess cook from an oil rig.
1: Oh, that was horrible. That was horrible. Uh, we went out to a, uh, We've got 1,500 rigs off the coast of Corpus Christi, 1,500. We, we'll take the new pilots out, and we'll make them close their eyes. We'll, we'll uh, do a couple of figure eights to get them lost, and then we'll tell them, okay, without looking at instruments, which ways land? And they will always fly towards the light, and there's way more light with the rigs offshore than there are onshore. Oh, wow. And so we tell them, flying towards the light only gets you in more trouble you know, you, you've got to use something other than, uh, that, that is not a cultural lighting, as we used to call it. Yeah. You know, you're, you're just going to run out of fuel and crash into the abyss if you go out that way. Uh, so there's a lot, a lot, a lot of rigs out here. And I mean, they're fully functioning little cities. Uh, so these guys were out there and, uh, they've got a, a full kitchen crew and, they tease people just like we tease people. They got a oh, kid yeah. that's working in the kitchen and uh, this kid could not wait to get off the rig. Cause he was going to go get engaged. And uh, they're like, Hey man, I don't care if you're getting engaged or not. If that helicopter comes and my lunch isn't ready, you're not going anywhere. Oh, so dang. the kid's really rushing. He's rushing in the kitchen and he is boiling whole chickens in a giant pot. And probably the top two inches of that pot was grease. And so he's boiling this stuff. He's running around a, a really hot kitchen, South Texas. He's got some fishing boots on, some cutoff uh, camouflage pants, and, a, uh, and an apron. That's it. So he's moving this giant pot of boiling water, and he loses his grip. And instead of letting it go, he follows it down to try and catch it before it hits the floor. And all that oil hits him right in the chest, runs down his whole body, and into his boots. And uh, when we get on the rig, uh, it was kind of funny. The first guy that runs up to me was a non rate I was stationed with in Cape Cod. Oh, he got no out. Yeah, he got out, went to work for the oil companies in Louisiana and winds up on the same rig. And I'm like, look, well, come with me. I know you know how to do this. Come help me put this guy in a litter. And so we go down. And as we get away from the rotor noise going down these stairs, you can hear this screaming. I mean, just horrible screaming and we, and we, we fight through a bunch of guys kind of peeking through the door and we get in there and we see these, the, there's two old guys reading a manual and, and they're looking over their reading glasses. Like it says, cool, the burn, cool, calm and cover. Right. That's, that's a procedure. Cool. the, You know, calm the patient, cool, the burn cover it up. Right. Yeah. They put this kid in a shower to cool the burn and they're putting this uh this cold water on raw nerve endings and i'm like hey we got to get him out of there what are y'all doing so we oh. pull this kid out and uh he starts almost crashing immediately oh so no we're we're treating him from the nipples down for full thickness burns the top of his feet are pretty much gone the inside of his legs all that all that uh, fat tissue has ballooned up the size of about a softball
0: holy uh, smoke
1: I mean, just massive blistering oh. uh, or the meat just came off the bone so we're transporting them for full thickness burns uh from pretty much nipples to belly button down but i'm also treating them from hypothermia from the nipples up
0: because of the cold shower
1: so much heat yeah he's losing so much heat uh but it was uh the case before this one happened uh I dehydrated and I was like, you know what? I'm not doing that again. So I just put a ridiculous amount of water in my bag and we used every drop of it to pour it over him because he would sit there and uh, he would be stable. And all of a sudden you would see his uh, fingers contract and his legs draw up and his lips would purse and then his heart would go into arrhythmia and then you pour water on him and he would totally relax. And the, uh, the heart would calm down. Wow. And we did that probably every five minutes all the way to the hospital. But that was a, uh, you know, this is, these are some very remote places. You know, you talk about the golden hour, losing 80% of your patients in the first hour. Yeah. And it takes yeah. you two hours to get there. And it happened 40 minutes before you left. Yeah. It's a, uh, it, it's some tough medicine down here.
0: Wow. You know, I, that brings up kind of a discussion point as far as medical training that we get as Coast Guard rescue swimmers. And all of us are EMT basics. We're not paramedics. We don't carry a bunch of pain drugs and and stuff. And, you know, I, I went through medic school after I got out and I look at it now, like would have been great to have some of that knowledge and medical gear you know, drugs specifically to be able to treat and help the patients. That patient right there would have needed an IV and start dumping fluid into it, you know. Um, ketamine would have been a great drug to use. But, uh, you know, at the same time, like how many cases do you get that you can stay proficient with your medical skills? I mean, I remember going like a month or two without having anything. And it's like, right. uh, if you're not touching patients for two months, like, how do you stay proficient on a paramedic aspect, you know? So that's why they say this, kept, kept this in basic. But something like that, man, we got to raise that question flag one more time. Like, are you sure? <laughs>
1: yeah. You know, I don't think having maybe uh, – having a couple of guys intermediate trained. Yeah. I, I don't think a few people in the shop intermediate trained is that much more expensive. I know we're talking at a program level. We, we've all, you know, we're very program sensitive. Yep. We know the money only goes so far, but what we're talking about getting the mission done, yeah, we don't need to hear about money.
0: Right, right. Well, you know, something else that, that might, again, discussion points, ideas, um, you know, and, and for guys that listen to this, you know, the military all over uses like the, the fentanyl pops you know, for guys to get hit in the field and stuff. And I know it's a medic that's usually doing it, but you know, like they, all my buddies that were deployed, they all had them like in their pockets. So if they get shot, eat the pop. And then when, when you start drooling the pop falls out, well, you know, you're, you're good and (laughs) you're good to go for the rest of the flight home An option. I mean, as long as the medical director gives us enough training and signs off on it, uh, Again, I'm all about an option. How nice would it have been for that dude?
1: Oh, no kidding. No kidding.
0: But anyway. So, all right, ready? Let's let's keep this going. Ready? Okay. Next one. You've got on here, all right, truck accident of migrants that went off a highway, through a fence, and off a cliff into a sand pit.
1: What? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... That there's there's a lot of South Texas knowledge there. Okay, we have uh, caliche pits. Caliche is just fancy word for clay. Okay, uh, Spanish word is that for clay. Like, the,
0: like like hard pack clay, like the hard pack clay. Uh, it's, it's more
1: like the. Uh, it looks almost like gravel, but okay. when you drive by it, and it creates the massive white cloud because that that clay is just turning into dust as you drive over it. Drive over it.
0: Gotcha. But okay. it's
1: uh, it's it's used on all the ranches, all the oil field roads uh it's just there's a lot of it down here and so when they find a patch of it they mine it out and it's not uncommon to have these 20 30 40 foot pits all over south texas where they mine this stuff out so that's that's oil field we live on the border we live two hours from the border there's a lot of our stuff that takes us into uh mexico mexican waters or dealing with Mexican citizens. And, and really most of them are not even Mexican citizens. They're citizens that are passing through Mexico you know, to, to come here. So what you do if you wanna get into the country is you all pile into a truck and they're briefed. Okay, this half is gonna run left, this half is gonna run right if the truck stops. They crash it into a fence and hopefully whoever's chasing them can't get through the fence without going over the truck, and everyone's on foot, is left and right. So there's always going to be half of them get away. Got it. Well, that okay. works unless you crash through a fence, and do a Thelma and Louise and do a caliche pit. <laughs> okay. So these guys. Were, were, I'm sorry. I did not mean to laugh. At I, that. I know it's it's that's, it's
0: that's not funny.
1: Yeah, but they they go through a fence, and they crash over into this caliche pit the truck totally flips over uh i know there was more than eight people in the truck oh gosh and uh so they call us up and it's a mass casualty drill and uh halo flight comes out coast guard comes out and this i'll give you an idea how big this caliche pit is the wreck is way off to one side and there's three helicopters parked almost like taxi lineup on the other side of the pit. I mean, that's how big this thing is. And there's ambulances driving in here. And uh, the, the kid that I got was uh, 14 years old. And uh, we met medevaced him to, I wanna say Driscoll's Children's Hospital. They took him in,
0: wow. but
1: he broke his back. He was in the back of the truck, rode it all the way down. And uh, it, it's, it's horrible. Um, but we handle a lot of stuff inland. We take care of mass casualty mm-hmm. drills, uh, flooding. I mean, Hoffmasters rescues were in Victoria. And I don't know if you've seen it on a map where Victoria it is, but it's a good hour from the coast. Wow. So That's a, that's a cor- far faraway inland. Right. So Colorado River, the Mexican border, about 200 miles out and 200 miles in from the shore is the AOR for Sector Corpus Christi. Wow so but you, you just you never know what you're going to be flying on uh we've got a lot of training bases here it might be military dave gray's got i think at least two uh pilot disentanglements
0: yep he actually he wow. came on here and talked about it
1: yeah so you just you do not know oil rigs mining operations
0: yeah
1: uh law enforcement yeah, we'll touch on law enforcement, but you just right. do not know what you're going to get into down here.
0: Dang, that is crazy. All right, so now, next one you got on the list is, uh, this is a little story about your family. And <laughs> basically, <laughs> your wife tells you that, listen, we, uh, we have a Christmas show. The kids have a Christmas show. You better be here for it, all right? Just saying. <laughs> So, you decided to put yourself on duty the night before the
1: Christmas show just so you can make sure you're there. Smart man. Yeah. That's what I would have done. Yeah. It's good to be the boss, right? Right. You know, I'll I'll just put myself on duty and, and, you know, what could go wrong? What could go wrong? Yeah. (laughs) Whoop, whoop, whoop. Launch the ready
0: helicopter, launch the ready helicopter, swimmer, get your stuff. Let's go.
1: (laughs) Oh, man. So the day of the Christmas pageant, Christmas pageant isn't until like seven, eight o'clock at night. So I'm thinking I'm good. I go off duty at four, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, plenty of time. We get a call to a disabled vessel uh, on the border. And this guy is really concerned that he's drifting into Mexican waters and the Mexican Navy is going to want to board him. So he's he's very worried about that. And we get down there. And we've got just enough fuel to drop me off and basically say, hey, look, we have a Coast Guard person on board the boat. Don't board them. You know, Coast Guard's got this under control. Helicopter's going to run back, pick up some fuel in Brownsville, come back. Uh, We've got surface assets underway. It's going to be a couple hours before they get there, you know, because we're that far out. Wow. So we get down there. And uh, I'm loaded for bear. I've got my, my extra life raft. I've got, you know, all my swimmer gear. And hit the deck. The helicopter takes off, flies away. And the minute that rotor wash is gone, you get a big whiff of uh, gasoline. And I'm like, that's, that's not good. Uh, it's a diesel boat. The only thing that runs on gasoline is their portable generator. And it's still wrapped and duct taped in the tarp. And you can see it from the fantail, and you look on the deck, and you see a little, little bit of gasoline on the deck, and it's like, oh man, it's a drug boat. They scrub the boats with gasoline to get the smell off it. Oh no! And so there goes the helicopter, and it's like, oh, this is this is not good. So the captain comes down, and and he's he's cool. He just sounds you know like a good old boy. Hey, we're so glad to see you. Y'all are. Y'all are like angels and we're just worried about drifting into waters. It's like, no, no, dude, here's the deal. You want to go to a nice cush American jail and not a Mexican jail. And we keep up this facade for hours. I'm stuck on this boat. Uh, The crew, we had two guys in the engine room that wouldn't even come out and talk to me. Uh, I think they were Nicaraguan, but. The long story was this boat was bought, was seized and then bought for, I think a dollar. And it had all kinds of hole damage. And they got the bright idea to pour concrete into the bilge to seal the holes. Oh my good Lord. Which works until the concrete cracks and then you have a hole that you can't access. So we're on a sinking drug boat, drifting into Mexican waters. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and you know it, it sometimes it takes a little bit of time for district to to get their head around the problem and so we're still drifting south while you know i'm waiting for the uh, the coast guard uh patrol boat out of uh out of south padre to get there and so it's it's like sunset it's like six o'clock and here comes a helicopter hey swimmer you ready we got enough fuel to pick you up or you're going to get left here and you're going to have to ride the boat in about the same time the uh i see the cutter so we wind up i wind up setting the the tow the guys on the boat have no idea how to set up any towing equipment whatsoever so we set up the tow for them the 110 throws me the line hook them up you know you guys ahead easy hey easy you know just mudder rudder midship And we're trying to set this tone the whole time. I'm distracted by that's my ride. It's it's coming in for hover right now. Yeah. And so I go running back and get back to the fantail and grab my gear just in time to uh, to hook up. And we go back to Corpus. I jump in the truck and I am screaming down Ocean Drive. You know, everyone else is in like a black tie, and I'm in this again the salty gasoline stank flight suit. and the wife's like you know there's really not a good excuse for this you knew about this and i'm like well i think i might have a good excuse she's like no no there's no excuse
0: honey honey you see what happened was i was on a boat
1: in the middle of the ocean i couldn't get off (laughs) yeah well see this this is the part that nobody talks about you know it's like we're all family dudes right This, this is you know yes we're in the military but even even the marine that's going into combat. He's got a family guy too. Right. And it, and if we look back about 50, you know, 60 years, the greatest generation were just family dudes that answered the call and did their job. Yep. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's yeah. uh it Hey Mike, I want I, I always Maybe wanted to come, come home to my kids. Yeah.
0: I wanted to come yeah. home to my kids. I I you know, I I loved coming home. I you know, and I remember cases that would happen and I would come home and specifically give them a hug and just hold them for a minute and be like, yeah ah, no, no. I'm, I'm yeah not i'm holding you guys right now but you know at the same time it's like you, know, you go on deployment or something like that you come back so happy to see him there are commitments oh, yeah. you got to be there you got to be there for the recital gotta, come on, there.
1: yeah but you know what the, the funny thing is is when you say stuff like oh sweetie you know i stuck on a drug boat in mexican waters that doesn't even wash because it's happened before right <laughs> they're so used to it they're like yeah i don't care that's that's yeah. just part of the job yeah and you're like, wait, you what? knew
0: you knew you were supposed you to be here. You <laughs> should have told that drug boat. No.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: oh, my gosh. Honey, I'm sorry. I'm
1: sorry. I'm late. It's yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. You find yourself in patterns and dealing with stuff that people are like, wait a minute, what if somebody overheard the conversations? They would be like, wait, what? That's not even close to normal.
0: Right. Oh, yeah, I no.
1: you know. You know what's not allowed in our house? This is funny. Cheeseburger wrappers. McDonald's cheeseburger wrappers are not allowed in my house. Okay. We had a McDonald's on base. And every time we had like that one case where, you know, hey, we almost put it in the water or we almost lost a crew member or man, I cannot unsee what I've seen. I would celebrate life, brother. I would go get me a couple of cheeseburgers. I would have a nice cigar. (laughs) And usually my buddy, uh, Rick Olivas, my favorite flight mech, he would come over and he'd have a shot of rum with me on the porch. And we would just, you know, hey man, live to fight another day. But it happens so much whenever my wife sees the yellow cheeseburgers, yellow cheeseburger wrapper, she's like, it happened again, didn't it? So it's like, yeah. So McDonald's is not allowed in our house anymore. I've been retired like 11 years and we still don't eat McDonald's.
0: <laughs> you know what? You shouldn't eat it anyway. Sorry. I don't mean to. I might be dissing McDonald's, but
1: you know. Yeah. I'm just saying that rescue swimmers were eating cheeseburgers to celebrate victory laps long before Iron Man ever did. Uh, hey. D-
0: smoking cigars, having a <laughs> shot. I'm all about it.
1: All hey, about it. Hey. And I'm, a, I,
0: and I'm the same guy that says, don't eat McDonald's. What is wrong? yeah? I There's know. a major wrong picture there. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I remember coming back from cases, and in, in, this is even civilian side, where it's like 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning. The first place
1: we go is either Waffle House or IHOP.
0: You're like, yep. I just
1: need food. <laughs> I'm celebrating life, baby. Come on. <laughs> Trust me. I killed this calories and whatever I'm gonna put in my body next. Yes! It was a long night. A long night.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. How was the recital? Do you remember?
1: <laughs> it was pretty good. All right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you just, it, it was no different than going to something in your dress uniform. You just like, okay. Don't talk to anyone. Just be calm. Look the part, you know. Be polite. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Just get through it.
0: Marty, that's hilarious. That's awesome. All right, ready? Let's go. What Next happened? one you got on the list. Left on scene with a paraplegic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, oh, and man. A, oh,
0: and a black cat. There was puking yes. all over the place. Okay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the best cases I was ever on, with the exception of one, we're all flown by the same man, uh, Commander Dave Neal. Uh, Dave Neal, Dave is by Neal. far, one of I actually the
0: best no, I, I I flew with Dave Neal because he came up to Kodiak. Did you? Heck yeah! So, so you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, awesome! Yeah. Awesome guy. Awesome
1: guy. Yeah. Shout out to yeah. Dave Neal. So, uh, yeah, the captain really didn't like the way we did risk assessments. You know, we had a simple thing: if the bell went off, he flew. And if he flew, I jumped, and we resolved the case, and we went home. It, it really is a simple life. Uh, the '90s were kind of weird for risk assessments.
0: Uh, yeah, to so, say I, I've never seen that risk assessment.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's like <laughs> yeah, we don't care about your risk assessment. Yeah. So, so we go out, and uh, we get a call. It's a it's a pretty good storm, and uh, every single time I've had my butt kicked, it was in Port O'Connor, Texas. So, there's just something about the water up there. When a storm comes in, it gets angry up there. Uh, it's the Gulf. So, usually it's not really big, but it comes fast. So, eight foot waves come in at like two and three second intervals will just pulverize you. Wow. That's quick. I mean, yeah. So, we get up there and uh, we get a call for a, uh, a commercial fishing boat taking on water. They're taking a uh, Waves over the stern and their pumps aren't keeping up with flooding they call us a precaution so the minute we launch the other boats that are in port are kind of heckling the captain going oh you had to call the Coast guard and they're kind of making fun of him and he's like no 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 we're good we're good never mind and he gets in closer to shore you know the waves kind of settle down a little bit and uh, we're like well we're already in the air we just want to call we just want to check on you now I'm good you know, we, we don't need any help. Well, we're just going to fly over and check on you because we're, we're already here. Hey, dude, why don't you just go look, do something else? Go look for that sailboat. We're like, mm, what sailboat? Are you kidding me? There's been a sailboat screaming Mayday for the last 12 hours. What? And we're like, oh, well, okay. So we mark the position of the, the boat, of the, of the fishing boat, and we go after looking for a sailboat. And man, we don't go very far. We find this sailboat. It's, uh, probably about 28 foot. The anchor pulpit is upside down. It's totally twisted upside down. The, uh, man overboard wires on the starboard side are all released. The sails are blown out. Uh, the main sail has like maybe two feet of, of uh, strips of cloth going down the mast out the yard arm and up the guy wire what so it, it's totally blown out the uh the jib i don't know what happened but it came loose and it is popping like a like a whip with this massive grommet probably about an inch and a half across a solid brass and it's taking chunks of fiberglass out of the deck every time it pops wow and, uh, there, and this guy is just uh you can see him just sitting down rocking back and forth on his hips just fighting to stay up and down on a sailboat, and uh, we call him up, and he leaves the wheel and he goes down below to get on the radio to talk to us. And we're like, "Well, that was kind of weird. Why do you, Why do you leave the wheel?" So we're talking to him, and his story was, "Hey, I went out for a day sail. I decided to take a nap. I woke up in the middle of a storm. I had my GPS, my cell phone, all my charts. They went over the side with the first wave." so Holy it's like okay cow. so uh oh his antenna i can't believe it even works i mean just everything on this boat's been destroyed so he's not transmitting that far which is why we never knew he was there so
0: so only the local boats in the area were picking up the traffic the saying right. mayday mayday made, made it
1: yeah dang that sucks so we get down there and uh they're like marty we're gonna deploy it to the boat uh, we got to go get fuel. We're getting close on fuel. We didn't think we'd be doing a second search for a sailboat. So get on the boat, stabilize the boat. We'll be right back. And, uh, I get down there and, uh, it, it's good. Eight to 10 foot seas, you know, big old rollers. And, uh, I get probably a wavelength away from him and he turns the boat away. And then away catches the wave away? away from me and it catches a wave and drifts away. So I, I swim backwards, hit the next row of waves. And you know how the deal is you swim on the top of the wave uh, <laughs> left and right. So you can basically run into the boat, and grab whatever you can get a hold of. Yeah. But once you get past that boat, there is no coming back. So he does this two or three times and what he's doing, he's trying to throw me a rope. He's turning the boat coiling a rope and throwing it to me but he's throwing it like maybe five yards he just he can't even extend his yards or his arm. He's so cold yeah and so he's not handling the boat great he's not throwing great and he's really making my life miserable uh (laughs) about the third yeah yell up to him
0: you're not helping
1: stop it (laughs) oh so (laughs) about the third time uh the helicopter comes and picks me up and I get in there and man, everybody on the crew is casting like, really, dude, really what? Come on, man. And we're like, Hey, look, we, we only have a little bit of fuel. We can only do this one more time. And so it's like, I I got kind of a a weird idea. You know, every time y'all call him on the radio, he goes into the cabin. He left that 40 foot chunk of rope hanging over the side of the boat, call him on the radio, go into a hover, And I'll grab the rope. And so that's what we did. So I deploy, swim over, grab the boat. And it's like, okay, so now you're tied to a boat that's getting bullied around and, and, you know, some good sized waves. And uh, so it's like, okay, up the rope. You're going hand over hand. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Hold on. You know, and you you take the wave. And it took about five of those to get up to where you can get over the side of the boat. And so I, I finally get there. I get to the side of the sailboat. And I just reach up and I, uh, I was exhausted, man. So I, I took my harness and when the boat came down, I clipped on to a stanchion. And all of a sudden, the, the boat went over a wave and went up. And so I'm dangling off the side of this boat. And then the wave, you know, it, it rocks a little bit and comes down. So now my legs are under the boat. And it's like, oh, great. And so I said, hey, look, brother, I got to break loose, break loose from the suction from under the boat and I'm going to flop over. If you could just grab the back of my harness it might help me out of it and he's like i I can't my legs don't work i'm like are are you injured are you okay he goes no i'm a paraplegic and i'm like oh this is great and so I, i managed to pull myself up flop over onto the deck and uh right then you see that nose drop and the helicopter takes off and and you're you're stuck with this guy and you're like what the heck are you doing out in a storm by yourself and uh first thing we do is we we go over the egress hey if the boat flips over this is the way we're going to go out i want you sitting right here so i can grab you uh he's he's hypothermic and he's hungry he's like hey man i I haven't eaten in in a day and i I know we're not supposed to let him eat but i thought you know what let him get some energy and uh i watch this guy devour three king-size snicker bars in like five minutes it almost made me sick watching the meat.
0: but this guy was starving
1: and uh i stick my head down in the cabin there's there's a lot of water everything's floating around the cabin and way up in the bow of the boat you know where the where the bed is there's a black cat with his legs straight up in the air his head's off to the side and this cat is seasick and i'm like okay I am in a storm with a paraplegic and a puking black cat. <laughs> I, I don't even know how you wind up in these situations. You can't make this stuff up. You can't. You, can't you just make can't up. make it up. Nope. So we, uh, I do the dart underneath the, the whipping uh, sail, get a hold of it, tie it down to the mast, secure all the wires, make sure that there's nothing we're going to snag up on. And we're, uh, I'm like, so what's the deal? What happened? He goes, well, I've only got like about a five horsepower kicker motor and it's not strong enough to get through the jetties in a storm. I'm like, well, let's just get to the jetties and a Coast Guard boat can come out and tow us in. We still don't have comms with anybody. So we start motoring towards a jetty with with a five horse motor. And all of a sudden, hey, look, there's that, that fishing boat we were looking for. They're like, y'all want to tow? I'm like, hell yeah, I want to tow. So he throws me a rope and uh, we go out there on the nose. Remember, there's no man overboard lines on the nose of this boat. There's no helicopter. So I've got to get out on the nose of this boat and, and make off You know the towing line. And uh, I'm there for like two seconds. And brother, we go through one wave, up a second one and crash down on a third. And I scurry back to the cockpit. The, the uh, fishing boat pulls ahead and the uh, towing houser snaps. Oh, and we're like, great, goodness. we get to go do that again. So this time we tie it to the base of the mast. Instead of going all the way out on the tip and risking falling over, we tie it to the base of the mast. And uh, I'm sitting there tying it off and I hear this pang, 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 pang. And it's the outrigger from the shrimper hitting the mast right over my head.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: And so I look up, I see it again. I don't even get back to the cockpit, and our mast is tangled in their nets. And as they pull ahead, our our sailboat turns perpendicular to their boat,
0: oh, and we no. start
1: scooping water. And uh, the boat is totally laid over on its side. They're dragging us by the mast, and uh, I grab this guy. We're about to jump overboard, and the net tears, and the uh, the boat swings heavy. We grab the helm. We straighten it out, and they pulled us uh, all the way to Port O'Connor. Oh, so Christ. there we are. You know, we're coming into Port O'Connor, and we're passing the Coast Guard station. And I'm like, "Oh wow, look, they got a helicopter on their lawn." And they they pull us all the way <laughs> into the uh, into the marina. We tie up. I get to meet the guy's dad, shake his hand. One of the guys from the small boat station picked me up and uh, my crews over there drinking coffee at the station. They're like, well, by the time we got back, you were already in the jetty. So we just thought we'd wait for you. You sound like you were doing great. <laughs> thanks guys. Thank, thanks.
0: That's
1: awesome. I got this. I got this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Know what, but see that, Honestly, that's why I love flying with Dave Neal. I've trusted him to do his job, and he trusted me to do mine. Yeah. And, I mean, that, it's just that simple.
0: It is that simple. And, you know, that's another great discussion point is that to trust, you know, the guys in the position that you're in. Do your job. Yeah. If you're, if you're flying, if you're the pilot, do your job. Trust me that I can do my job in the back, whether it's hoisting, whether it's swimming, whether it's being on a mountain, whatever. Like that's what we're trained to do. Like, pilots go through flight training school to fly the helicopter badass. Yeah, well, we're trained to do the same thing, only ours is on the other end of the hook, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. And God bless the flight mech that catches all of our mistakes.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and yeah, and the flight mech has to deal with both sides. Oh, that poor guy. The pilots <laughs> tell me this, the swimmers <laughs> tell me that. I don't know yeah. what to do, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, that's funny. All right. So now I, I'm going to go to the next one. Ready? The next yep. one is going to be a little more fun because um, actually, fun's not probably the word I want to use. The next one is going to be a little more. Actually, it's the end of your career, is what it is, or coming close to it anyway. Um, but you were deployed to Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans and pulled a killer award out of it. Which I'm going to read here in a minute, and uh, mm-hmm. and we get to hear about everything that happened in Katrina, which is pretty awesome. So, it's yeah another guy that was down. There were a ton of swimmers that were down there, and everybody has similar like stories, but every one of them has been so unique. And I'm I'm looking forward to hearing this one. So, wow. Uh, yeah, here we go. Let's, let's read this. And get into it. Citation to accompany the award of the Distinguished Flying Cross. Two, Chief Martin H. Nelson, United States Coast Guard. Chief Pedestrian Nelson is cited for extraordinary achievement while participating in aerial flight from 31 August to 3 September 2005 during Hurricane Katrina rescue operations. Demonstrating exceptional aeronautical skill and superlative physical stamina, Chief Nelson served as rescue swimmer on repeated sorties aboard H-65 helicopters in challenging urban disaster environment. On the night of 31 August, Chief Nelson deployed to an unimaginable scene of chaos, where 200 desperate survivors, suffering from three days of severe exposure to intense heat, lacking food and water, congregated on a roof of a school, demanding evacuation undaunted by disorder he quickly took charge and began prioritizing survivors for lift when suddenly he was confronted by openly hostile men with exceptional composure chief nelson asserted his authority establishing himself as their only hope for survival and gaining their compliance despite nearby gunshots visible muzzle flashes from below and volatile crowd Chief Nelson remained on scene until the survivors were saved from the perilous conditions. Following a series of fatigued rescues, Chief Nelson mustered enough energy to deploy from 150 feet to a six-foot landing boxed in by buildings, jagged debris, and power lines. Recognizing the dangers, he completed three demanding direct deployments, each protecting the survivors by using his own body as a shield from the potential deadly hazards. On 02 September, Chief Nelson deployed to assist another rescue swimmer, evacuating survivors from the top of a slippery dome-shaped structure. This terrifying situation was created after an armed mob raided the building and forced a survivor to the roof, with the gang lurking below. Chief Nelson shuttled 60 survivors along the dome to awaiting aircraft barely maintaining a foothold while fighting against the intense rotor wash. His actions, aeronautical skills, and valor were instrumental in the rescue of 90 storm victims. His courage, judgment, and devotion to duty are most heartily commending in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. Marty, what the... Like, I knew Katrina was crazy, and Dave talks about gunshot, but you got
1: gunshots, too what bro it was uh it, it was a little bit surreal uh, it started out as the bridesmaid case where hey marty you know we know you're gonna make chief in a couple of days and you know we got more than enough master chief senior chiefs and chiefs coming into town and we got more than enough rescue swimmers man you're still in boxes you just moved to mobile why don't you just medevac sit this one out medevac and go to tallahassee and i'm like hey peace out i've, I've had enough storms. I'm good. And so I wind up wagon training with about seven Coast Guard families over to Tallahassee. Uh, all the husbands are flying. So we get every, all the families set up in a hotel in Tallahassee. And I'm not there 12 hours. And they're like, dude, we messed up. We need you back like right now. So <laughs> next day, I'm packing up the car again. And it, it, was, <laughs> it was so stupid because there's like I-10 on one side is a parking lot except for one suburban with a family of six going the wrong way with about eight gas cans strapped to the back of it because we know we're going back into a disaster area. And, uh, I get there, set up the family with the generator get the AC going, you know, kiss the wife, kiss the kids. And they go and they drop me off at the, uh, at, uh, training center mobile, get my flight brief at seven I'm in the air. Sun goes down shortly, you know, I think we, we got in the air when it was still pink sky, but brother, we flew an hour and we didn't see any lights, no lights, wow. no towers. You would see the occasional house fire, campfire, but there were no lights passing over the entire state of uh, Mississippi.
0: Holy smoke.
1: So it starts to sink in. You go from that excited to you know not really knowing what's going on, that excitement to, holy cow, this is, this is really big. And uh, we go into uh, New Orleans area, and they, they direct us to a neighborhood. And we picked up, I think, about 12 people. And they said, hey, look, we're going to go get fuel. Obviously, we're going to work this neighborhood a little bit more. And I was getting my head about me. I was like, you know what, go ahead and leave me here. I, I just really wanted to get my head on with this. And, uh, there was a big guy, he was army. He just got back from the desert and he is full blown in combat mode. You can see it in his eyes. He is, he is the warrior. And, uh, he's given me local information and, uh, all of a sudden, uh, we, we feel like door slamming and there's like 10 feet of water in the neighborhood. Yeah. And I'm like, is there anybody in this house? And we realize it's not door slamming. It's two by fours buckling in the house. Holy cow. You know, you can feel it when you're on the roof and uh, we go ahead, we, uh, we medevac him out and then uh, we go to the next set of roofs. We get a couple of people, And uh, I took my helmet off. The helicopter went to go drop them off and was coming back. And I took my helmet off. And it was maddening because you're standing on a roof where everybody else is standing on their roof, too, in a neighborhood. And everybody is screaming at you because, I mean, you've you've got the retro tape. You've got the chem lights. They can hear your radio squelching. Yeah. Uh, I can't find I can't find my kid. My mom broke her leg. My dad's out of oxygen. Everybody is screaming their needs at you. And mentally, it was just like, holy cow. I put my helmet back on. It was like, nope, I can't listen to this right now. And you get your head around it. And then uh, they picked us up. We went into New Orleans. And uh, this would have been probably day two or three. And uh, I'm still getting my head on. And the pilot, we stopped. And the pilot gets out, shakes my hand, says, hey, Marty, guess what? It's 12.05. And I finally got my game together. And I'm like, yeah, man, hey, we gotta get back in the air. I figure by 4.8, we can come back here, get another bag of gas so we can get some more rescues, get some more people. We don't wanna be caught on the ground in New Orleans. We still have to have enough fuel to get home to Mobile. And he goes, no, Marty, Marty, slow down. It's 12.05. And I said, hey, dude, look, I'm normally good at this game. But right now, you're going to have to just tell me what you want. out of And he shook my hand. He put an anchor in my hand. I promoted. I made cheats. Oh, That's hey. I'm and I'm like, hey, this is cool. But we got some next level stuff to deal with. Right. And so, you know, put the anchor in a pocket. And uh, it's like, OK, pilot, go get an area brief. Co-pilot, go take care of the logs. Flight mech's going to run over the bird. Uh, <laughs> Marty, you know, I get to play the stewardess. Go get local intel and get us food. Grab a couple MREs. Okay, cool. We go over, we talk to the swimmers, and and the swimmers like, hey, man, cool your heels. They're shutting us down. So, what do you mean they're shutting us down? He said, well, they said it's day three, and the risk assessment says that, uh, you know, if we're going to have an accident, it's going to be, you know, between the third day and the fourth day, and they're only going to have us hauling water to people. And I'm like, brother, my payload is like a thousand pounds. OK, I can bring people to water faster than I can bring water to people. It'll take me a half hour to load and unload a thousand pounds of bottled water. Yeah. Uh, this just does the risk assessment there of having people come under the rotors for cargo makes no sense. And uh, and we're sitting there talking about it. Yeah. And all of a sudden. No kidding. Common I, sense. I don't know who it was. There's a young kid. He's sitting there eating like a thing of yogurt. And he's like, yeah, especially since all those kids are on a roof. And we all looked at him like, wait, what? Yeah, there's like 60 kids on this roof. I marked the position. You still have the position? Yeah. And they got you hauling water. Yeah. Okay, look it. We go back and I look at the pilots and I'm like, hey, you want to take this anchor out for a test spin? Let's let's get rid of, yeah, of come on, this guy. has got a position. There's 60 kids, and we're like 60 kids. That's all we had to hear. So we go flying into this area. Uh, they put all the old guys in one helicopter. You know, I'm in the old guy helicopter, thinking <laughs> that we we're gonna somehow be the calmer, more tame of the bunch. Way wrong answer. We were like the first ones on deck, and uh, we get out on what I think was an old folks' home, and it had like the whole neighborhood on top of the roof. There's probably a couple hundred people up there. Uh, We hit the ground, grab some people, shove them in. My helicopter takes off. Uh, Second helicopter lands over. It's it's a U-shaped roof and we're at the tip of one U and they're at the tip of the other. And then all the people are back on that common area where it's all connected. So this this, uh, young swimmer, I, I can't remember who it was. I think his name was Wolf. comes running over hey what are we doing i said we're going to run two lz's throw four chem lights in each corner and keep two red chem lights uh stuffed in your uh your wetsuit sleeve before dude i love dod if they see red chem lights over your head they think you're an lso they're going to land so just keep two red chem lights we walk towards the crowd we throw down a whole bunch of chem lights and we tell them hey if you cross this line we're leaving and not coming back because the, the blades come down to five foot two. Anybody over five foot two loses the top of their head. So you nobody, if you cross the line, we're going to another roof. And so everybody's cool with not crossing the line. Um, tell the kid, you know, set up the same LZ that I've got here. I land, he lands, we stuff the cabin, I take off, they take off. We go do triage, we grab some more people, helicopter lands, we stuff the cabins, and that was our rotation, and so uh, we get about maybe three rotations in, and we get a bunch of guys standing over in the corner crossing their arms, they're not really happy with the whole women and children first thing, so <laughs> I've already heard some stories, you know, uh, Rob Williams and John Williams both had run-ins with guys, you know, uh, with guns, yep. and uh, I walked over and decided to to not be the target. And I said, yo, whose roof is this? And this kid steps out and says, yo, this is my roof. I said, okay, who's out next? Give me one guy. He goes, I want this guy out next. Okay, and I walk him over to the edge of the roof, and say, hey, dude, I promise you, you're gonna be on the next helicopter, but you give me an ounce of crap and I'm throwing you off this roof. <laughs> okay. Oh no, man, it's cool, it's cool. All right, good deal. So helicopter lands, we make a big show of him getting onto the helicopter, Everybody in the, in the, in the little group over there, they're happy. You walk into a crowd and you pick up the youngest child and you hold them over your head and you scream, whose kid is this? And there's going to be a woman running out screaming. That's my baby. Great. How many babies do you have, ma'am? And remember, we're back to that thousand pound capacity. So the big guy we put in there, he's a big guy. He's going to be like, uh, you know, you, you start thinking in terms of 200, Okay, so he's probably two and a quarter, plus the two kids. That brings us up to two units. That's 400 pounds. The kids and him are 400 pounds. Mom's under 200 pounds. Grab two stragglers, knock on the window, and you tell the pilots, hey, these guys got to go to I-10 East. Okay, and they take off. They don't question it. They just take them to I-10 East, the aid station. Next helicopter lands, you pull somebody from a gang, you pull somebody, you know, You know, youngest children with the most children and biggest family. Hey, these guys got to go to I-10 West, okay? Okay. And so what you're doing is you're systematically breaking up that gang and sending them to different FEMA stations. Because what we don't want to do, we do not want to dump a gang off in the middle of a FEMA station.
0: Wow. Well played, sir.
1: So we, uh, we wound up running nine helicopters for five hours and probably medevac'ing over 250 people. Uh, There were 60 people in the building that were patients or they just weren't capable of getting up the vertical ladder. Uh, One of the local uh, parish priests were in there taking care of them and uh, they would bring me just one or two pallets of water uh, or uh, cases of water that we could drop down to them to take care of them. But we were not going to get them out of the building in dark without technical rescue. So we go all night. And uh, just before we get pink sky morning, big Dave Gray comes in and uh, God bless him. You know, the technical thinker that I'm not, Hey, we need heavy haulers. We need bigger helicopters. And so he calls in DOD aircraft and uh, they come in. I don't think that building lasted beyond uh, noon because he worked from sun up till about 10 or 11 o'clock loading everybody up he was just about ready to go and all of a sudden the gunfire erupted again yeah you know, we'd, we'd seen random gunfire all night but he dave gray wound up in the middle of a firefight and uh i think by noon or one o'clock that building was on fire i don't even think it survived. the building did not survive the night
0: yeah uh, he talks about sure. that in in his episode with us and my goodness. It's,
1: yeah. <laughs> it, it, was, it was just crazy. So that's like, that's day one of Katrina. Wow. you know? uh we go in, we get a couple of other ones. Uh, we're like, okay, we can do like maybe a couple more rescues. And then we got to head back to Mobile. Then we do that high wire rescue where there's just these massive trees. So we got to go out the door, you know, pretty high. And we're, we're skirting the power lines, you know, are they dead are they alive i don't know you know but we got to get around that we got to get around the uh the shards from the building and we pick up as i remembered it was uh, two sisters a child and one of the sisters husband and the husband elected to stay behind and so he's given this kid hugs the kid does not want to leave dad and it's just a little bitty probably about four or five year old kid and uh we get the uh we get the women up into the helicopter and then they uh, they send down the basket. There is no room left in the helicopter. And so wow. I get in the basket with this little kid. And when they get us up, my my butt is like over floor, but my feet are not. And so this kid is literally out the door. So I got him in my lap. And uh, we reach over. I shake mama's hand. And that seems to calm him down. Like, see, we're friends. Me and your mama are friends. It's all good. And so I'm holding on to him and the only piece i remember that entire week was looking at the stars with this kid we're flying over new orleans and i didn't want him to look down so we were just looking at stars wow it it could have been could have been my kid just sitting there giving him a hug and and looking at the stars together so crazy uh already that's that's crazy we, we, we dropped off uh, those survivors at aid station, headed back for Mobile. We got somewhere over Mississippi, and they called for a, uh, a woman in labor. And it was horrible because we couldn't find her. We couldn't get a signal, and we looked as long as we could. But somewhere in Mississippi, a woman gave birth with, with no help. Dang. Um, so we get back. You get that day off to, to rejuvenate. And you're like, well, you know, it's a great weight loss plan. I lost nine pounds last night, (laughs) you know, because you're just so dehydrated. Uh, You get some good food. You get some downtime with the family. You're trying to stay in touch with what's going on with the shop, you know, talking to the guys. Uh, And they're like, the next one was, uh, hey, Marty, well, now that you're a chief, you and Hoffmaster can go back and relieve Damata." And so we get back there. And I'm just like, "Holy cow, I've only done one day there. The New Orleans crew has been doing this since day one,
0: right.
1: They've, they've been in this for probably a week already. Their houses are gone.
0: Yeah,
1: Their families are scattered. and they, I only did it for you know that one day. And they've been in this for how long? And I just uh, I'm, I, I just I don't even know how to talk to them when I get there you know? Uh, the one thing I did is, uh, whenever we landed for fuel, I had a, uh, had that little green notebook. Hey, what do you want me to bring? When I come back, what do you want me to bring? And the guys are like, you know what? Everybody asks us. Nobody comes. And the, the maintenance officer was the funniest guy. He's like, you know what? I'd love a crown and Coke. And I got more Coke and ice than I know what to do
0: with. <laughs> so,
1: so, uh, But everybody just gave me their little wants and needs, and uh, we went back to supply, and we loaded, oh, my gosh, probably six or eight B4 bags full of gear. Uh, All of my personal camping gear, all the kids' sleeping bags, all that. It's like, hey, guys, there's some people that need this more than we do. I'll get you new stuff. You guys are growing. Let it go. There's there's other people that lost a whole lot more. So we shove all these bags in a, a Falcon. There's a picture of it somewhere. Of the entire back of the Falcon is loaded with these big green before bags full of stuff, yeah. and we're sitting on them like beanbag chairs. <laughs> so, <laughs> so <laughs> Hoff and I go in there, and the minute we land, we throw all the before bags out there. We call a muster. Hey, we're so and so. Oh, one of the uh, one of the wives, I can't say who, was a very good friend of the person that ran the exchange, and they bought the largest crown bottle I've ever seen in my life it was massive so awesome they're like okay so set the mood we called the maintenance officer up say hey I think you requested this you said nobody brings you anything well here you go and so we started giving out flight suits sleeping bags food just whatever the particular thing that they said they wanted and it was like Christmas. Everybody is so happy to get out of their diesel-soaked clothes and yeah. have a dry place to sleep. And I said, hey, guys, you know what? You know what I want? And everyone just kind of looked at me. I said, I, I kind of need the hanger emptied because we really got to start cleaning this place up. And this one guy goes, hey, I, I, I get a forklift license, and I know where there's some tables, but they're dirty. Hey, it's okay. Bring them over to the wash rack. Uh the planes took off, and by the time the planes got back at noon, that hangar was spotless. Wow. And Hoffmaster and I set up decon centers. We set up a place to inspect equipment. We set up a place, uh, an eating area, and they sent three or four psychologists to keep an eye on us. And so <laughs> we, we told the psychologists, hey, you got to sit on that side of the bench and so when the guys come and sit, they're not facing everyone else. So they won't see you talking to them. But they'll come over and they'll break bread. They'll talk a little bit. And then the guys go back to work. Uh, we took all the chairs and put it in this big semicircle. And it faced the uh, the flight line. So the guys would slide off the, the aircraft and they'd look a little beat or tired. And they'd see everybody looking at them and they'd, they'd get their chin high. And everybody would clap. I mean, it just it built built a really great environment. Um uh, so we, we're going through this. We're making it work. And late in the evening, the psychologists come to me, and they're like, hey, we got a problem. What's that? We don't have a problem. I, I don't um, get it. Awesome. They're like, man, these guys aren't showing any signs of fatigue whatsoever. I said, look, dude, here's the, the boys. thing. Uh, these guys thrive where there's no rules. They're, they're wired that way. I'm going to need you for re-entry. Right now, let them deal with their stuff. Let them, let them talk to each other. When they have to leave here and go back to their station, that's when I'm going to need your help. But yeah. right now, you're not going to see any problems. <laughs> and they're like, Phew. so. But uh, so that was uh, that was day two. Uh, let's see day three they called it low hanging fruit they're like hey look we're just going to fly around the outer areas and look for stragglers and and you know get area intel and see what's going on Uh, so we're flying through uh, we actually decided to fly through downtown and there was a swimmer on on top of the uh, Salvation Army building and I was like well that's odd I'm like hey guys if uh, that swimmer's still standing there, he's been there for an hour already. If he's still standing there, when we go back for fuel, I want you to drop me off and I'm going to go check on him, make sure he's okay. Three hours in a wetsuit yeah. in 80, yeah. 90 degree heat, that's a lot. So they drop me off and they bail. And uh, it turns out the, uh, it was a methadone clinic. And there was a Walgreens and a CVS across the street. And once all the patients figured out that they could get into Walgreens and CVS and take whatever they wanted, they took over the clinic. Oh, man. So those, those big blue pills that look like cereal boxes. Yeah. You know, from the robotic dispensers. Yeah. You can see guys walking around with those. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, uh, I get there and I do the same thing. You know, what, what's, what's the first EMT thing? How many rescuers? How many patients? So it's like, okay, are there any more people down below? And everyone's like, nobody we care about. Wow. <laughs> they, they've got the door barricaded so nobody can come up and get on the roof. And uh, we had all the doctors and nurses and medical staff up there. And so we had to walk them out to the end of this building where the helicopter was landing. Just one at a time. It's, it's a big old corrugated dome. And we'd walk them to the end, get them in the helicopter, and and we wound up metabacking all of those guys out of there. They'd been stuck on the roof because the, their building was overtaken.
0: Wow.
1: So, you know,
0: everybody that I talked to says Katrina was just—it was the Wild West, and it was, mm-hmm. you know, it, for all of you guys that were down there. Again, I wasn't down there for it. I wish I had been. Um, other people tell me they're gone. I wasn't, but. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Man.
1: You know, it, was, it, it was nuts. Yeah. But I mean, the biggest thing is there's a lot of crews. I, I don't think the uh, 8th District crews got nearly the recognition they should have gotten. Uh, the fact is I was at a headquarter unit and we were not accountable to district. We, we sent our wards straight to headquarters.
0: Wow.
1: Uh, but New Orleans, Houston, Corpus crews. I I don't believe that they were recognized the way they should have been recognized. And I I know we went back and we tried to fix some of that. I'm not privy to what they did or what they got accomplished, but the, the new Orleans crew is just freaking legendary.
0: Yeah. Oh, they they were answering the call while the storm was still happening. You know, they, it was crazy. So, and, yeah. and, and you know, a lot further, of people lose
1: houses. A lot of yeah. people do rescue. Not a lot of people do rescue after they lost their houses.
0: Right. And those guys yeah. were every one of them.
1: Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And I,
0: and I remember the call coming in from uh, Master Chief Dyer at the time, just saying, we need every available asset. Bring every unit in the Coast Guard down to uh, Skeleton Crew and get everyone, everyone there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was like, "Holy cow, we got to start sending some guys. Let's go!" But,
1: but they were—it uh, was—it was awesome to watch them. I mean, it was awesome to watch them interact. Uh, like I said, they got off the helicopter. They had attention. Uh, it's like, look, and and it wasn't like, "Look at me, look at me." Attention. It's, oh crap, people are looking at me. I can't show weakness. And and we just we fed off it. We yeah. just fed off it. And then it was like, okay, how long can we keep it going? Oh, we can do this all day. They keep sending us fresh blood. You know, we probably had 25% of the rescue swimmer rate in Mobile.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which is awesome. Just amazing.
1: But that was, uh, that was uh, Katrina.
0: Marty, these stories are freaking unreal. You had one heck of a career, man it's like a holy smoke
1: just another swimmer dude
0: just another swimmer (laughs) yep yep (laughs) dude i love it well i'll tell you what man like we you have shared some incredible stories we've been we've been going for a while now this Mm -hmm. i I think I, i can't get enough of this stuff i love every bit of it um but if you don't mind like with every all of your experience what would you pass on? What would you share with everybody else out there that's still doing the job?
1: Man, you're going to be in it a long time. So spend time with the guys. You know, I I was probably the guy that punched out, went home, you know, at five o'clock, a little too much. I I should have spent more time with the guys. Uh, I was a swimmer for 20 years. I've been retired for 11 and I still talk to a lot of people. Uh, it doesn't end with retirement. No. I mean, if you want it to, I guess it can. But uh, I will never forget getting a phone call probably a couple years into retirement at, uh, at about twelve thirty, one one in the morning. And uh, it's when Dale Taylor and Fernando George's uh, aircraft went down. Yep. And uh, I was retired and somebody in town knew those were my boys. And they gave me a call to let me know, and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, this this just does not get any easier with retirement. Retirement has nothing to do with the rescue swimmer program whatsoever. Nope. So, so what do I do? I uh, I'm thinking about okay, what can I do? Nothing really. You know what? I can call one person. I'm going to call the guy that relieved me, Pat Estrada. PE, love my boy. I it. I call them at 1.30 in the morning to say, hey, listen, you may want to brace the boys for some bad news. Uh, I don't know if it's been released yet, but Pat Estrada is is still up packing to go to Mobile to do the CISM debris. Wow. And it's like, that's just how small our community is. Uh, I know there's guys out there that, didn't enjoy working with me. And that's okay. I still love you, man. I learned something from everybody I worked for, for, uh, there's a lot of guys that work for me. They taught me a lot. And the older you get, the more you realize how small this world is.
0: Yeah. True statement.
1: But yeah. So, so yeah. So keep that, uh, community going. You get out in the field, you get one shot. Once you leave the aircraft, you're not in the aircraft anymore, Bubba. So take everything it has to offer. Fly a 360 around the case and look at it from every angle. If you're going to get bit, it's because you didn't you didn't take advantage of all the information. So, Marty, uh,
0: this has been awesome. That's it. This has been awesome. Just- so I'll tell you what. Before I let you go, um, sneak peek to everybody out there. You and I are actually going to get together one more time to talk about one more case oh. that is not disclosed right here, right now. But uh, we're going to leave that as a little like teaser for the next one, because yes. we're going to try. We've been trying to get, and we should be getting, your entire crew that was on that case, uh, and we're going to hear it all from you guys, which is going to be pretty badass. I'm not even going to like dive into it at
1: all. It, that's going to be the mind blower.
0: Come on. <laughs> like, I'm excited. I don't even know this story. I'm excited for it too. So, but uh, until that day comes, which is coming pretty quick and I'm excited about it. Uh, Marty, I cannot thank you enough for coming on and sharing this incredible career, all these awesome stories. It's been an absolute pleasure. I, I I've been on the edge of my seat the entire time. I love it. So thank you. <laughs>
1: Hey, thanks for the opportunity. This is, this is a good deal. Like I said, there's, there's a couple hundred guys out there that have had better careers than I do. We need to hear from all of them.
0: I, I'm a, this platform is open for everybody. Come on. You know, I, I'll tell you what, I, I'm going to throw my boy, Kurt Revels under the bus right now. I love Kurt. <laughs> he's had some amazing cases and he's like, ah, they're not that great. I'm like, bro, What are you talking about? You've been left on scene. You've done this. You've done that. Every there are some amazing cases. And then there are some amazing cases that you just
1: don't hear about.
0: Tell them, come on.
1: (laughs) You you know what, dude? It's, it's not about us. It's about teaching everyone else. It's about helping everyone else. And if you think hearing about it doesn't help, well, you're just wrong. Yeah, yeah. Brew, Brewmaster Revels needs to to get on. Let's go, go let's go, Revels.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Marty, dude, I love you, man. Thank you again for coming on, and uh, you know, you and I are going to be in touch. I, I I love the fact that we're we've been reacquainted and reconnected. It's been this has been awesome. So, oh, thanks a lot,
1: This is a good deal you're doing. Thank you for having me on.
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, So until I talk to you later for our next episode, I'm excited. Awesome. So I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, brother. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute to like, subscribe, and hit that share button. I'm pulling jocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you on as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else we talk about here, send an email to jason at therealrescue.com. That's jason at t-h-e-r-e-a-l-r-e-s-q dot You can also check us out on our webpages, therealrescue.com, our Facebook page, and our instagram page at the real rescue again a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today always remember when that star alarm goes off those in distress are praying for a miracle they are going to get you until next time fly safe and swim hard